Welcome to the Red Words Podcast, where we pursue a personal relationship with God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us weekly as we deep dive into the dynamic and oftentimes curious Holy Spirit-inspired book of God's Word. Revelation chapter 19, part 2, unveils that the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one who sits at the right hand of God, who was and is and is to come, is finally here. King Jesus rides through the cloud on a white horse, followed by an army of angels and his beloved. But first, the angel who's been announcing everything needs to remind John of something. Here's Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Oops, wrong guy, the angel tells John, but it's easy to understand why John fell on his face. God's angels are impressive beings, and more than likely other believers will make this same mistake too. But the angel is quick to refuse John's worship and correct his behavior. What's really incredible is, if John had remained standing, we never would have heard what this angel says next. Scripture tells us that both angels and believers testify about their faith, and believers are commissioned to bring the good news of the gospel to the lost. When they do, God sends his messengers to protect them so that his will is accomplished. So, both angels and believers serve God, but it is the believer's testimony that bears witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and verifies scriptural prophecy. Soon, very soon, the Lord Jesus Christ will return to bear his own witness, this time as King of Earth. Now, something remarkable happens as we catch our first glimpse of the true rider on the white horse. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse is standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. What a glorious day this will be. In absolute clarity, the holy dwelling place of God Most High is open for all to see. According to Donald Gray Barnhouse in his fabulous work, The Invisible War, The heavenlies are divided into four realms. The first heaven is what we call sky. The second heaven is the finite universe. The third heaven is the spiritual realm the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. And the fourth heaven is God's home, the remarkable place where the Lord Jesus Christ voluntarily left to come to earth as Messiah and where he ascended to the right hand of his Father 40 days after his resurrection. Now, here's something to consider. In order for the fourth heaven to open, the other three realms must be open too, which means the occupants of the other heavens must be completely subdued and placed under God's authority. Okay, what does that mean? That means every single fallen angel who was thrown out of heaven along with Satan, those who have been fighting God's angel armies in the spiritual realm, are instantly defeated. The war that's been raging in the spiritual realm for thousands of years is finally over. 
The archangel Michael and God's heavenly armies leave the third realm and report to their king, who sits upon his white horse. Now, why a horse? King Jesus could have chosen any animal or vehicle for his triumphant return to earth. In fact, he could have created a brand new creature or thing, a remarkable, distinct, or unique conveyance. But no, Jesus' personal choice is a horse so blindingly and brilliantly white that this exact color is unique to this animal. And we see a bit later that Jesus mounts his bride upon white horses too, but these will be of normal earthly whitish coloring. All right, here's another consideration. Some may think King Jesus' horse and those of his beloved require wings to travel through the heavenlies to earth, but they do not, for two reasons. Reason number one, a real-life Pegasus would be a brand new creature. And two, the creator of all things can easily uphold his mount and all the other horses upon his descent. Not only that, Jesus also controls every horse's behavior because anyone who knows horses understands that these animals can get a bit silly when they're all thrown together into a big herd. And who needs several million playful equines whilst one is attempting to traverse the heavenlies behind their king? All that aside, the real question is, why does Jesus specifically choose a horse to ride into his new kingdom? Two more reasons. The first is, God Most High is sending his faithful and true son on a mission to judge and wage war against Satan, Antichrist, the false prophet, and all their demonic and earthly minions. When one studies scripture, horses represent judgment and war. King Jesus alone is the Father's judge, and he alone will administer God's vengeance. And the second reason is, before King Jesus leaves the fourth realm, he gathers to him three distinct species to witness his departure. The first species are his created beings, his messengers, whom the Bible translators call angels. These beings witnessed and celebrated the creation of Adam. Many were tasked to protect and guide mankind, while others were tasked to punish. But now the angel armies witness the king's departure from his heavenly home, and they accompany him through the heavenlies to earth. The second species are those humans who chose the Lord Jesus Christ by faith when they lived on earth. Lastly, horses too will bear witness, for horses are the superior servant animals the Lord gave to mankind to ride, plow fields, pull chariots, wagons, and carriages. Horses bore humanity's heaviest labors throughout history until man manufactured engines. King Jesus honors horses for their steadfastness and willingness to serve mankind despite how horrifically humanity often treats them. And so, horses are the Lord's choice to carry him and his beloved into his new millennial kingdom on earth. And now to Jesus' descriptions in verses 12 and 13. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Throughout the early chapters of Revelation, Jesus is described as having eyes like flames of fire and wearing many crowns, because through his reign, God will return the original goodness 
virtue, decency, integrity, honesty, morality, honor, purity, and sinlessness that was decreed for mankind and all of earth. This will be a process. And King Jesus starts it right here and now by giving himself a special name that he alone knows and understands. One day, believers will know its meaning and rejoice. In the meantime, believers understand why his robe is dipped in blood, for it is his blood that washes all of his beloved believers clean of their iniquity. The last part of King Jesus' description is extremely important to understand. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Word of God. The Holy Bible is also the Word of God to all mankind. For Jesus was the Spirit hovering over the deep in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Word of God is the triune Godhead history from ages in eternity past to ages in eternity future. The Word of God is all that the Lord was and is and will be in truth, action, and righteousness. The Word of God is also the Lord God's promises and His prophecies that King Jesus is now bringing forward into His earthly rule and reign. And we know from another description in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God is alive and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and exposes a person's innermost thoughts and desires. Yet another description of Jesus from Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 says, He, that would be King Jesus, sits upon a white cloud, wearing a golden crown and carrying a sharp sickle. Therefore, King Jesus, as the word of God, comes to fulfill the biblical word of God in all judgment and righteousness. So, when God opens the heavenly realms and presents his son to the universe, sitting upon his horse on the threshold of heaven, every eye that was alive and currently is alive will see him, as we learned from Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. That cloud that hovers around King Jesus on his descent to earth is the same cloud that received him during his ascension 40 days after his resurrection. The cloud is the Shekinah glory of God, which is the presence of the Lord God on earth. Quite clearly from the above verse, every human being, both dead and alive, will see King Jesus leave his heavenly home. And those on earth the minions of evil will mourn his presence, for they realize they made an eternal error by not choosing him as their savior. Now let's continue with chapter 19, verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. In the entire King James Bible, there are only two verses that have the descriptive words linen, white, and clean in them. The first instance is Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, which exactly describes the clothing worn by King Jesus' bride. The second occasion is this verse. Therefore, those who follow King Jesus to earth are his angel armies and his bride because his chosen bride, 
His faithful overcomers out of all of his believers are those who proved himself worthy to accompany him to their new rulership with him. The remaining believers stay in heaven until the king summons them to earth for the wedding feast and afterwards their servanthood training, which takes place throughout his 1,000-year kingdom reign. The remainder of the massive multitude that accompanies King Jesus are his angel armies, his created creatures who fought for and protected humanity from the beginning. These mighty angels will fly or drive their fiery horses and chariots around the king's bride. We know these angels drive fiery horses and chariots to protect God's beloved because we're told this in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapter 6, when God showed Elisha's servant his vast and powerful fiery angel army that surrounded the Syrian army. For the Syrians had come to harm Elisha, but God's angel army of fiery horses and chariots far outnumbered the Syrians. As stated, King Jesus' angel armies will be mightily accompanied by horses, and they will be doing what they do best, protecting the king's bride during their descent. Interestingly, the multitudes of angels and faithful overcomers will not engage with the king in the battle of Armageddon. Rather, their purpose is strictly to witness the Messiah's return to earth, for Jesus is proof of Scripture revealed. As the next verse clearly states, here is verse 15. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. King Jesus gallops through the sky carrying a scepter, a rod of iron, by which he will judge all the nations of earth that are gathered together in the valley of Megiddo. He will correct the wrongs done by the peoples of these nations. He will avenge his father's beloved to such an extent that he promises their blood will flow like juice from a wine press. And he arrives with a title on his thigh, as we see in verse 16. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. King Jesus, surrounded by the cloud of his Father, swoops down out of the sky to fulfill the prophecies, for he alone is the King and the Lord. Jesus is the Creator who made it all. Jesus is the Messiah who came to offer salvation. He is the one who died to redeem everything back from the usurper. And Jesus is the fully resurrected living Son who will reign as King of earth. Then in verses 17 and 18, John watches as an angel shouts a message to all the carnivorous birds who live in King Jesus' creation. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. In response, vast flocks of flesh-eating birds begin their flight toward Israel. And we learn what happens next in verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. 
Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet, along with the kings of the nations, came to fight. They came to do battle with the one who created them. They, along with their armies, want to fight the Lord God Almighty. The sheer idiocy of this concept demands contemplation, for no one can withstand the fierce wrath of God when it is handed out by his Son. The king dismounts from his white charger and stands alone against the vast armies swarming in the valley of Megiddo. These multitudes think they have a chance to win the battle of Armageddon. They do not, as we see in verse 20. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Instantly, Antichrist and his henchmen are captured and thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. Two of the three evil leaders are gone, and the kings of the nations and their minions realize they've been deceived into thinking they can win against the Lord God Almighty and his Son. The battle never even begins, as we see in verse 21. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came out of the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. King Jesus, according to his promise, now turns his attention to the earth dwellers, and he slays these people with his two-edged sword of God's truth-filled words, Words that destroy them all. In God's judgment, their blood flows like juice from a wine press. In fact, the blood is so deep that scripture states it will rise to the height of the horse's bridles throughout the valley of Megiddo. That depth equates to about four feet inside a triangular-shaped valley whose dimensions are 15 by 15 by 20 miles. And then the birds gorge themselves. And so the returning king comes to fulfill many prophecies. But here's one from the New Testament Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his fathers with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. And now it is done. The king proves himself to be the scriptural one and only son of the Almighty God, who has returned to earth to reclaim his creation, and he will sit upon the throne of David in Jerusalem for 1,000 years, just as the archangel Gabriel told Mary that he would. But wait, what happened to Satan? Here is a sneak peek into Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for 1,000 years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations any more until the thousand years were finished. Finally, not one single enemy of God remains on earth. A newness is promised, another return of a different type. For now the king of earth will continue with God's future promises of restoration within a government that can never again be corrupted.
And so, dear friends, take heed of the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God today as you seek a deeper personal relationship with Him. Thank you for joining me and know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you so very much. And so do we. Until next time, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen.